Welcome to the June 20th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 3, verses 18 through 38, and the sermon is entitled, On His Way, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are going to move ahead in the Gospel of John. So take your Bible, turn with me, the Gospel of John. If you're streaming with us today, get your Bible out, put it on your lap, on your kitchen table on your car seat, wherever you are, and we're going to study this great book as we are moving step by step and verse by verse through this amazing letter of John, the disciple, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our last study, let me take you back a step just to get us all on board. We took an intimate look at Jesus sharing the Passover meal with his disciples and also the humility of the Son of God kneeling down and washing their filthy feet. All of this taking place on the Thursday night before the Friday of the cross. And so the cross is very, very close. But one by one, Jesus Christ approaches his disciples and the God of the universe is on his knees washing their feet, willing to perform the lowliest task of the lowliest household servant in the Roman Empire. But the disciples, as they received that washing, were awestruck and speechless and were overcome with amazement that their Lord and their Master would bow down to wash each one of them individually. The room was silent until Jesus gets to Peter. And of course, you know, Peter was always the outspoken guy. And when Jesus gets to Simon Peter, Peter breaks the silence when he says, You will never wash my feet. Lord, I will not allow you to wash my feet in that lowly way. He could not bear seeing his master on his knees at his dirty feet. But Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me, Peter. And I remind you what that statement means from last week's sermon. We all need the total bath of washing of salvation and forgiveness of sin. We need the total bath of cleansing our heart, lifting from us the guilt, giving us the promise of heaven and eternity with our God. But also, Jesus washed their feet in remembrance and reminder that every day, even though we've had the total bath, you and I need washing of our feet and our hands and our mind that we stay clean in the journey. We still deal with sin, and sin can still mount up with us. And so we have to ask Him daily to wash us, clean us, restore us, put us back on the path. And that's exactly what He was doing with Peter. But also in this lineup of men who with whom Jesus is dealing and washing their feet, is Judas Iscariot. And John does not record one word from Judas as Jesus gets to him to wash his feet. Sadly, this is what bears out to be the truth. Judas Iscariot allowed Jesus to wash his feet. But in the three years of ministry that he'd walked beside him and heard his words and seen his miracles, he never allowed Jesus to wash his heart. He was an unsaved man, an unsaved man in the 12 disciples walking by Jesus on a daily basis, seeing the ministry, being a part of the ministry on a daily basis, and yet he never gave Jesus his heart. He never received forgiveness. Even after three years, he was a lost man. He was hard. He was closed to the Savior, and he'd opened a very dangerous door. This is dangerous for any person, but it's especially dangerous for that one who doesn't have the breastplate and the protection of 
Jesus' love over the heart, and that is he was conversing with Satan himself. Satan was devising a plan of Jesus' murder, and he delivered that plan like a dart to Judas Iscariot's heart, and the dart sunk deep within his heart as that plan came to fruition with Judas Iscariot. Now let me ask you this, was Jesus unaware that there was a lost man in his disciples? And the answer to that is no. Jesus fully well knew that Judas Iscariot was a lost man. He also knew for three years as they traveled together that Judas Iscariot would be his betrayer. If you turn back to John chapter 6, you don't have to literally do that right now, but just listen. If you turn back to John chapter 6, much earlier in Jesus' ministry, Jesus knew early on he had a lost man within the disciples. As Jesus speaks to the twelve, write this reference down, John chapter 6, verse 64. Jesus says this, John 6, 64. Jesus says, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Early on in Jesus' ministry, walking with the disciples, he knew his betrayer was walking by his side on a daily basis. Jesus knew it full well. Jesus says Judas is going to follow an Old Testament prophecy that was written a thousand years before this Thursday night of betrayal. That prophecy, write this reference down, is Psalm 41, verse 9. Just listen to these words, how timely they are. Even though they were written a thousand years before this night and the betrayal, here's what the psalmist wrote. Psalm 41, 9 says this, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted and which did eat of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me. So there's a prophecy of the friend of Jesus Christ, Judas Iscariot himself, who will lift up his heel in betrayal against the Savior. So Jesus tells his disciples, somebody here tonight, somebody in this Passover meal, somebody, now I've washed your feet, somebody here is my betrayer. You've posed as a friend all these years, but you're the betrayer. You know, the Lord constantly tells his disciples to follow him, to believe him, to trust him, But he knows there's one in the group who never did. He knows. None of the other disciples know, but Jesus himself knows there's one lost man in the group. So he's speaking to 11 men and to one lost man. Remember now, we're still in the room of the Passover and the foot washing. So turn with me to John chapter 13. Keep your Bible open today. I'll come back to Scripture a couple of times. John chapter 13, go to verse 19. And we're going to go through verse 30 right now. John 13, 19. So this is Jesus now still talking with his disciples. If you have a red letter Bible, you will see the red letters here as Jesus speaks. Now I tell you before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. 
Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, By those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Underline the word night. I'll tell you why when we get there. I want you to remember this. This is probably a framework of 12 hours before the cross comes to Jesus Christ. And within that period of 12 hours, before Jesus literally is mounted to the cross, he is going to have a very sleepless, restless night. He is going to have an awful arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to go through fake trials. He's going to be denied by his lead disciple, Peter. He's going to have a scourging of his back and his backside where he will lose so much blood from his body that the scourging would bring him to within an inch of his literal human death. The scourging was so horrible. He would endure mockery and the emotional pain of people spitting on him and slapping him. He would bear a crown of thorns that night and a chorus of his own family hollering for him to be crucified. That's before he even gets to the cross. He goes through such pain. The weight of the sin of the world is on his shoulders. We think that the cross was horrible, but by far the greater pain and the greater agony was bearing the sin of every single human being in the world. Simply bearing my sin alone would have brought him to grief, but he brought every single person to the cross and our sin there that we might be forgiven. That sin laid on his shoulders on the cross. What agony Jesus was anticipating to come, the weight of the world pushing on his shoulders. And in John chapter 13, verse 21, Scripture says that he was troubled in spirit. Underline that word in verse 21. He was troubled in spirit. The word troubled in Greek is atarakthe. And it means to feel such anxiety and such stress and such pain that it brings you to the point of human horror that you would have to bear this thing that is before you, whatever it might be. And yet, Judas Iscariot was in the room with a smile that deceived all the other brothers in the room that night. They had no idea the plan that was brewing in his heart and his conversation that was going on with Satan. And Peter and John are dying to know who this betrayer is going to be. Now, although we see the Lord's Supper, such as Da Vinci's Lord's Supper, and they are seated around the table, and everyone has his place. Actually, the, the uh, Passover meal was not at a table. It was not in chairs. The Passover meal was in a more of a reclining position. 
because it symbolized the relaxation of the Israelites after they were released from slavery in Egypt. So they really didn't sit in tables and chairs. They sat in reclining position to, to symbolize relaxation. Well, John, the writer of this gospel, literally has his head on Jesus' chest in this reclining position. Peter is somewhere a little farther off, and, and so Peter says, John, ask him, who is it? Who's the betrayer? He's named one of us as a betrayer. Find out who it is. And so John asks, and Jesus tells John, the betrayer is the man to whom I am going to offer the sop of the Passover meal. Now, the sop is a piece of bread in the meal that's dipped in a wonderful concoction of apples and raisins and dates and nuts, and it's mixed together and ground up finely. That's called cherasheth. And so the sop is the cherasheth, and you dip the bread through it, and the leader of the Passover meal, and Jesus was leading this meal, offers that piece of bread with that cherasheth on it to the guest of honor. And so Jesus puts the cherisheth on the bread, and he lifts the bread to Judas Iscariot. Now, I want you to understand this is the climactic moment of Iscariot's life. This is the moment that he could turn his back on sin and turn his back on Satan and turn his back on betrayal and the plan that was developing and run into the open arms of Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus would have received him and forgiven him and adopted him as his son that very moment. Amen? No person is outside of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But Judas's heart was hard. And he said, no. Jesus, I continue to refuse you. And as he swallows the bread and offers deliberate denial, Scripture says that Satan literally entered into the body of Judas Iscariot. And Jesus makes a statement when that happens because at that moment, there's no turning back. There's no turning around for Judas. And Jesus makes a statement to him saying, what you do, do quickly. Well, the disciples did not understand that statement. John 13, 28 says none of the disciples, including Peter and John, really know what Jesus meant. Some of them thought, well, maybe Jesus is telling him he's the treasurer of our group. So maybe Jesus is telling him, go and get some additional items for this evening that we're sharing together in this feast. Maybe Jesus is telling him, take the treasury and go out into the streets and give a gift to the poor. So they had no idea what Jesus meant when he said, go out And what you're going to do, do quickly. They didn't understand it. But as Judas leaves the room, John makes a note in his gospel. In verse 30, he says, it was night. Yes, literally, it was night. It was probably past 9 o'clock at night. It was dark. But also, it was night in Judas' heart. It was dark outside, but it was dark inside Of Judas Iscariot. Satan literally taking up residence inside of him. Now, when Judas Iscariot leaves the room, I want you to understand, so did Satan living inside him. Remember, God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God is everywhere at the same time. We are worshiping here today, and he's in a church in Germany as well. So he is is omniscient, omnipresent. 
Satan is not. And so when Satan and Judas Iscariot left that room, the whole tenor and the whole atmosphere of the room changed. A lost man was gone, and Satan, the head of the demonic force, was gone. Would have been cleansed of evil. So with a quite different atmosphere now, Jesus speaks again to his disciples. Go to verse 31, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. If you're streaming with us, turn your Bible there, 1331. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another." Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. May God bless this portion of his word. Now, I want you to back up. Notice in verses 31 through 33 that Jesus is speaking of glory, that he is going to glorify the Father, and the Father is going to glorify his only Son, even as Jesus is facing the cross with its agony, with its searing pain, with the weight of sin on his shoulders, even before being lifted up on that cross, Jesus is looking beyond the agony to the glory that is going to come. Jesus can look beyond the pain to the joy that's going to come to be able to offer salvation to all people of all shades of color, of all nations. He can offer salvation through the cross to every single person. So the agony of the cross became the joy of his salvation to us. And Jesus could look on the other side of the cross and see that joy. So the pain of the coming hours will give the ability for Jesus to offer eternity to anyone who will come to him in faith. I want you to listen to the way the book of Hebrews puts it. Write this reference down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is what Hebrews says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross was ultimately an instrument of joy for Jesus Christ. Yes, it was agonizing. Yes, it was painful. But ultimately, it became his joy. For it is through that cross that you and I might be forgiven because he took our place there. Amen? Praise God for that good news. It was his joy, and it continues to be his joy to offer salvation. Believe me, Jesus knew the cross would be horrible. The thought of it brought him to human terror. 
But on the other side was the glory and the joy of inviting you and me and every single person on earth to forgiveness, to be sons and daughters of God. John 13, 33, Jesus speaks to his disciples. And you will notice that he refers to them as his little children, his sons. The Greek word here is technion. And this is a term of the deepest love you could have for your family and what you would do to maintain that love. I remember this morning something that came right to mind when I said that. It's not in my notes, but I love my grandson so much, both of them, four and two years old, that I would take their bullet. I will do whatever I can to preserve their life. And on a human level, that's my understanding. But on the godly level, Jesus Christ took our bullet on the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved. And so he calls them his little children, and he calls us the same thing. He loves us so much that when he endured the cross, your name and my name, your name was on the cross. Your name was on his heart, and he went to the cross for you and for me. So Jesus is implying here how much he loves us because of the cross and the joy that he has to give us eternal life. He says, I'm with you, disciples, right now for a little while longer. But he says, where I'm going right now, you cannot come. One day you will come, but not right now. It's not time for you to be there. What he's saying to them is, I'm completing my ministry, and through the cross, and through the resurrection, and 40 days of presence on earth, I'm going to ascend back to my Father, back to heaven, back to the throne of glory and authority and power. But you are going to stay here. You're not following me there yet, because I'm passing the baton of ministry to you. You're taking up where I am now. My footsteps are leaving off. You're stepping in the footsteps, and you're going to be the ministers, and you're going to take the gospel into the world. And those disciples did that for as long as they could. Most of them died martyrs' deaths as young men. Old John, the gospel writer here, lived into his 90s. But they carried the baton until God said, it is time now for you to come home. But the generations of Christians have passed, and here we are now, 2,000 years later, and you and I hold the baton. And you and I are charged with ministry. And you and I are given the commandment to take the good news into the world. But Jesus tells his disciples, before I leave, I'm giving you a new commandment. Jesus is implying here that this commandment is in in addition to the Ten Commandments. And Jesus can call it a new commandment because he was the author of the first ten. So he says, I'm giving you this new commandment that you would understand. You can look at the old commandments in Exodus chapter 20. But today we're studying the new commandment that Jesus adds to those. The disciples would hear and understand this commandment, but they wouldn't understand it completely in this night in this room while they celebrated the Passover and while they had their feet washed and while they talked about kingdom's work. They would understand this commandment the best tomorrow when wherever they were from the foot of the cross into the shadows, they saw Jesus die for them then they would understand fully what this commandment says and the depth of love. The Lord told them, men, disciples, love each other. Agape love. Not 
brotherly, slap you on the back, ask about the weather, and send you down the road. Brotherly love. But we're talking about agape love, self-sacrificing love. I will do whatever I can to your honor and to your benefit. We are to love one another. We're to take care of one another. And the Lord was telling these disciples, men, love one another. Don't betray one another. Don't turn your back on one another. Don't walk away from one another. Don't let a little spat tear you apart. Love one another. Continue to walk with one another, arm in arm in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And all people will understand that you belong to me by the way you treat one another when you love each other. You take the gospel into the world by showing my love to the world that needs my love. Show me to the world. Carry this gospel on when I'm gone. I'm going to leave you, but you will join me one day to come by God's will and God's plan. But today, carry the baton. Today, carry my love. Today, live it with one another and take it as my men of ministry into the world and show the world the love of Jesus Christ. Now, as this chapter ends, once again, Peter, he can't contain himself once again. He's the most outspoken of the disciples, but he says, Lord, why can't I follow you? Why can't I come where you're going right now? No matter where you go, Lord, I'm going to be on your heels. I'm going to be there with you. Even to the death, I'm going to follow you. If you lay down your life, I will lay down my life. And in verse 38, Jesus says, oh, Peter, you say you'll lay down your life for me. You'll lay down your life with me. But even before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. Your words are big right now. But after you go through this night, in the morning you will deny me. Well, as we end today, if you'll notice back on the uh, order of service, the title of the sermon is On His Way. Let me bring it to this point. Judas Iscariot is on his way to betrayal. Peter is on his way to denial. And Jesus, the Son of God, is on his way to the old rugged cross. We're in the heart of the day of our salvation right now, and we should be as awed and humbled as those disciples who got their feet washed that night. That we're included in this account of the Bible, that it's about us. It's about our forgiveness and our salvation. So believers today, we thank God we have a Savior who loved us so deeply and with so much commitment that He went to the cross. That's the truest definition of love. He laid His life down for me and you and you on stream and every person in the world. And now His word to us is love each other. Love each other as the church. Friends, I can tell you right now, if we don't love each other as the body of Christ gathered here today, we can't take love into that world. We have to love each other now, amen? We have to work together and pull together and contribute our talents together. 
We have to share the ministry together. There's no such thing as a pew potato. All of us have something to do in the gospel work, in the kingdom's work, and every one of us is called and commissioned as believers to contribute our time and talent to get it done. You, have, you can do something that no one else in this congregation can do. You need to contribute your ministry to the church. We love one another, and we work together so the gospel can leave these doors and go out to a lost, desperate hurting, dying world that needs to hear the name of Jesus Christ and needs to see his love exemplified in us. That's the commission to the disciples, and 2,000 years later, it is now yours and mine. Take the good news of the love of Christ to the world. You know, I heard a preacher say years ago, lost people need to know that somebody cares enough to look for them. But you will never look for them unless you love them. There's truth in that statement. To love people with the love of Christ. You know, God allowed us to walk together in this past year. And this has been a hard year. I'm so glad to see this end of the tunnel now. Uh, This past year has been a hard year on us. And I know not just church-wise, but job-wise and finance-wise and School-wise, it's been hard on us all. But praise God, I believe that it is the love of Jesus Christ that we see the church coming back together now. And we see the people of God gathering not just to worship, but gathering to be a passionate mission force in the world. That's what's kept us together, is the love and the harmony of Jesus Christ and honoring one another. And here's what I believe. God is teaching us that we've learned a new level of love in this past year. This year was not misspent. This year past us was not time wasted. God has taught us something about love in this past year. How I missed you this past year. I love you more because I've missed you this past year. I pray that binds us together now on this side of the pandemic. But our love for one another now is to be passionate to go outside of these doors. That we can honor Jesus' words in John 13 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Lost people need somebody to look for them. Will we do that in this week to come with the love of Jesus Christ in our heart? You can only look if you truly love. I praise God for this church body and our commission now that rests with us to take the gospel into the world. I pray, believer, brother, sister, from the back of the pulpit to the front of the pulpit, that you and I will commit our lives to taking the love of Christ from this place into the world. You will cross paths with somebody this week. It will not be luck. It will not be chance. It will be an appointment. And you can share the love of Christ with them, arranged by the Lord. And today, if you are here and you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you're listening by stream and you've never received Jesus, don't don't cut me off yet. Just hear these words. The Lord Jesus loves you. He loves you. He created you. And he, he, he loves you through and through. He loves everything about who you are because he put you together. But there's become a barrier between you and him, and that's called sin. But Jesus himself loves you so much that he went to the cross. And he bore the punishment of the cross to take our place there, your place there, that you might be forgiven today. Not in some future day, 
not in some crisis in your life. He says, today is your day that you can come to receive me as Lord and Savior of your life. And he's waiting with open arms, just like he's waited for every human being. He's waiting for you with open arms to receive you today. If you'll simply say yes to him and come. He's waiting for you. Believers, I pray that we will take that kind of love into the world this week. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us in this place. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we will return the love that you have given to us so freely back to you, Lord, in loving others. That we love our families. Lord, I pray for the men, the dads of this church, that we will take a stand of love in our families, in our church, in our community. Father, men and women are built differently, but that kind of love is needed from both sides, a woman's love and a man's love. And so on this Father's Day, Father, I pray that you will bless us to be the men of God who are willing to step up and show love and be loving to those who surround us and to be mentors of Jesus Christ and be the picture. Now, we're sinful and we fall short and no, nobody does more than I do. But pick us up and wash our hands and feet and minds and put us back on the path and help us, Lord, to be godly examples to our children and our grandchildren and our families, and our circle of friends, and the workplace, and wherever you take us, Lord, make us men of God. I pray for our women, you make them women of God. Help us, Lord, to live that new commandment of love wherever we are. And if there's one here today who needs Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're not waiting on that one to become a Bible scholar or to turn over a new leaf or whatever, Lord. You're asking them to come right now, this day, just as you are. Come now. My arms are open and waiting. May he or she come. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in this very important moment of decision, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.